Hello and welcome to Nice Talks. My name is Amy Thomas and I'll be your host for this podcast. This is a chance to discuss health and care in the UK and to hear people's stories. You can find us on SoundCloud as well as iTunes and Stitcher. If you do have any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us through our social channels. Our Twitter handle is NiceComs. Or you can drop us an email using the address nicetalks at nice.org.uk. This episode is all about eating disorders, what they are, why they're important to treat, and what it's like living with one. I went up to Oxford Department of Psychiatry to ask Professor Fairburn how we define eating disorders and what the term means. My name is Christopher Fairburn. I'm Professor of Psychiatry at Oxford University Department of Psychiatry. The formal definition would be that it's a disturbance of eating or eating-related behaviour that significantly interferes with someone's physical health or mental health or is a significant cause of distress for them. The eating disorders are important to treat for quite a few reasons. Um, once they've developed, they tend to run a chronic course, so they persist, they're self-perpetuating. Uh, they tend to develop in adolescence, most of them, and can really blight people's lives during a very important stage of life. So they would be affecting people in their throughout their late teens, into their 20s, unfortunately sometimes longer than that. And whilst you have an eating disorder, you, you're really not your normal self, so you don't socialise appropriately, you, you don't get on with your career or be a student effectively, relationships are affected. So they have a huge impact on people's life trajectory. And in some cases, they also are physically dangerous and can even result in death. I spoke to Jess over the phone. She's currently receiving treatment for her eating disorder and explained to me what life is like living with this kind of condition. Everyone's experience is different, but I think for me, um, the most standout factor was that life with an eating disorder is really isolating. No matter what I've surrounded myself with, so activities or people or whatever I've filled my life with, um, you sort of have an overriding sense of loneliness, really, which um, I think is from a combination of things. One, sort of visibly isolating yourself. So um, at times when I've been low or anxious with my eating disorder, I've shut myself away and a lot of the time I've spent avoiding social situations, um, particularly surrounding food, so then you're isolated in that sense. But then I think you also kind of have an internal sense of loneliness, which I think is because for, for a number of reasons. One, because eating disorders are quite secretive, so I've spent a lot of time hiding things from other people around me, which made me feel quite separate from everybody else. And also, you're living with sort of a continuous 24-7 running negative commentary from the eating disorder. So a lot of the time you're very distracted and consumed by all these thoughts and feelings that you're getting. So even when you are surrounded by people and trying to live your life, you can't really engage properly or connect with people because you're so sort of consumed by all these thoughts. I think I describe it like living in a bubble with 
almost an abusive friend. You're going through the motions of life and going through all the routines, but you're not really living your life. You're sort of quite numb to what's going on around you. And what are the challenges we face when we're treating these kind of conditions? The challenges are multiple. Some eating disorders, people don't see themselves as having an eating disorder. And so a major challenge is helping that person see that they've got a problem and need help. So that's an unusual challenge, but it's particularly true in anorexia. Another challenge is that any of the eating disorders that involve loss of control over eating or binge eating uh, are accompanied by great shame and secrecy, so people delay seeking help for very long periods, on average about five years. Uh, and then it's the uh, second issue is waiting lists. Um, waiting lists are highly undesirable for more or any problem, but particularly eating disorders, because the only thing that reliably predicts outcome is how long you've had your eating disorder. Um, and so as the clock ticks, your prognosis is deteriorating. And then when you finally get to the door, starting treatment, you obviously want the best treatment possible. Um, and uh, NICE is so good at clarifying this. Uh, and there are, there's lots of good news in the eating disorder area in terms of tr- effective treatments. But what does Jess think about good treatments? Good treatments are mainly a lot of the time down to finding the right um, people to work with. So working with people that you trust um, and working with people that understand eating disorders and sort of how they manifest and um, people as well that are able to help you to understand your own eating disorder so you can separate yourself from it. I've definitely had experience of sort of patient-centred care and I think that is one of the most positive experiences because you do really need to take responsibility for your own treatment, I think, to get to really benefit from it because it makes you feel more sort of empowered and able to sort of fight the eating disorder, I think. And this concept of empowering the individual with the correct knowledge is also a key feature of treatments themselves. Interestingly, um, certain eating disorders, and one in particular called binge eating disorder, uh, responds well to what's called guided self-help. And it refers to the self-help book based on what's known to be an effective treatment, following essentially the steps that a therapist would uh, follow, but you're doing it yourself. And what other treatments are out there to help people with eating disorders? CBTE, or in the NICE guidelines it's called CBDED, the same thing, uh, is a, a specialised psychological treatment designed for people with eating disorders. Working with the person, you work together with the person to understand their particular eating disorder, work out why it's self-perpetuating, and then the CBTE works out a personalised plan for working your way out of it. Well, it sounds like an amazing treatment, but it also sounds quite expensive and possibly hard to access. Are there challenges we face in that area? Uh, There are undoubtedly challenges. Um, What we thought was that the existing method of training people to do psychological treatments is sort of Victorian. Um, We should use the internet. Uh, Why can't we devise a way of training therapists online? So we are trying to increase access to therapies like CBTE. 
But there are other options too. Why is it recommended that people with anorexia have a discussion about different treatments? We're rather short of evidence on the treatment of anorexia nervosa. And the problem with that is the situation is that we have several treatments that look quite good and they've not been compared directly with each other. And so that's why the NICE guideline says that uh, clinical services should offer the patient the possibility, or at least be frank about the possibility, that there's two or three treatments that could be used. They all have got promising data. They've never been compared head-to-head. We don't know which is the best, but these are the front runners. It's also suggested that we try and increase communication between different healthcare departments. Why is that? Yes, this is, this is very important. Um, and, and what's really being talked about is when eating disorders co-occur. If we take diabetes, uh, it's not rare for diabetes and an eating disorder to coexist. The presence of the eating disorder really messes up the diabetes. So... Physicians who deal with diabetes are very pleased if an eating sort of person will sort out <laughs> the eating disorder, as it were. But at the eating disorder end, my end, as it were, I need to tell the person who's uh, dealing with the diabetes that while I'm helping the patient overcome their eating disorder, I may make their diabetes a bit worse. It won't be unsafe but I may complicate things a bit while the person's overcoming their eating disorder, but then things will be stable. Uh, But that requires good communication. And Jess also thought that good communication was a key factor in delivering treatments. If there's more robust systems in place to have professionals talking and make sure everyone's on the same page, I think that would be really helpful. I think just having, like you said, measures in place to make sure that change is actually happening Uh, makes a big difference to patients. I've already seen examples myself of where in the place where I've had treatment um, professionals have been trained in some of the new therapies that are recommended on the guidelines. You can actually see like changes being made which I think is really positive. So despite the obstacles we face when treating these conditions, there are many strategies in place to help care for those people who are suffering from eating disorders. If you'd like to find out more information about this topic, please visit our website at www.nice.org.uk. Thanks for listening.